Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Doesn't feel like curling weather. It's about a thousand degrees here in Edmonton. I just tried to say, "Oh my God, it's hot here." Kevin said, "I'm in Palm Springs. I got, I got you beat." <laughs> it's another show of Inside Curling. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And uh, of course, each and every week, we do it with our two World Curling Hall of Famers. We couldn't do it without our sponsors. We want to thank Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost, the sponsor of Mailbag. Send us an email inside curling at gmail.com. Coyote Tractor. Uh, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics, Goldline, of course, who brings you In the House and Hearing Life, our new sponsor, What Are We Hearing, which there's several things. Uh, on the show today, we're going to talk to our two surprise guests. Okay, just hang on. Don't go anywhere, everybody. Uh, also, what's happening around the curling world, there's a report out of Sports Canada uh, this past week regarding the rankings of 63 amateur sports in Canada. Where does curling fall in there? We'll find out. The World Curling Federation put out the final rankings of the year. And we also have the Canadian team rankings, men's, women's, mixed doubles. Hot Rock Topics. Recently, some folks on Facebook have suggested we should possibly look at the button or a covered pin being worth two points. Every single week, we get a different angle on curling. (laughs) What are you hearing? One of the great respected curlers of all time has passed away, and Warren is going to give us an update on that and uh, what he meant to the game. In the House brought to you by Goldline. Goldline Curling's Momentum Rush shoes are the fastest, most stable, and most comfortable shoes Goldline has ever made. Learn more about Goldline at goldlinecurling.com. Would you please welcome the most recent winners of the women's division in the Coyote Tractor Champions Cup, Emma Miskew and Tracy Fleury. Hello, ladies. Congratulations. How are you? Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hi. I've been in all these cities. Uh, Emma, you're in Ottawa? Yep. I, I live there. Tracy, you're in Sudbury. I live there. I haven't done Palm Springs. And uh, I'm in Edmonton, where Rachel is, right? She's in St. Paul, I believe. She was in St. Paul for a bit, yeah. But she's in Beaumont. So she's back, yeah, between here and the airport. Anyway, uh, Tracy, I was asking you, every time I go to Sudbury, I played golf at the Idlewild, and all the boys are they're all screaming and yelling, we don't want curlers! We're freaking out about it, and... Uh, it was a little testy between the, the golfers and the curlers. Are they all getting along now? Are they all in the sandbox getting along? I do think it's getting a little bit better. I hope so anyways. But yeah, a couple of years ago, there was a little bit of talk about uh, perhaps getting rid of the curling at the club, which of course was disappointing to all of us curlers, but yeah. uh, seems to have been resolved for now anyways. Were you, were you there at one time as a curling member? For many, many years. Represented the Adwell for many years. How does it work, Tracy, with with curling members and golfing members? Do you, can you join one or the other? Do you have to join both, or do you, 
How does it work? You can pick and choose, but the golf membership is a bit more pricey than the curling one. But uh, it's nice for the club to be able to have revenue sources year round. Yeah, I agree with you on the golf and curling part, uh, Tracy, being uh, all year round. And it's funny, you know, a lot of the golf courses think, well, let's get rid of that curling, you know, until they realize the bar and uh, food revenue. <laughs> and then they go, oh, <laughs> wait a curlers, minute, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe we don't want the curlers to go away because in the wintertime, that's pretty nice to have. Anyway, thank you guys for coming on. Got to talk about the final. I don't know if there was like a, an alarm that didn't go off uh, for you guys or something. Uh, um, first end, a steal of one, second end, steal of one, then a steal of two, then a force. So you're thinking, okay, we're down three without against a really, really good team. But did you ever think you could possibly come back from such a deficit? Yeah, obviously not the ideal start, but we tried to stay positive and thought maybe we could come back. Um, I think the score wasn't really maybe as bad as it looked, just a couple of misses here and there, a couple of bad breaks. And uh, um, we just tried to put together a lot of good shots the second half and it worked out for us. You certainly did. The steal in five, I guess, that kind of woke everybody up in the building, I think, going, ooh, wait a minute. But then the steal in six, Emma, the intended double, but it jammed. Um, when that happened, all of a sudden, everybody got in the front of their seats. And how about you guys? Yeah, um, in the sixth, we played a great end. Uh, we had the pressure on them all end. So um, Val made a great shot to try to clear some of it out to give Carrie an out at the end. And I mean, when you stuff a double like that, you're close. <laughs> it's that means the brakes have shifted a little bit. Um, that's like, uh, could go either side. <laughs> you make the shot. Um, so at that point we were like, okay, well, at least now if we force in seven or at least try to force in seven, we have a chance and like, we have a chance to get two. and there's been so many steals with this no tick rule. Like we're still in it. Uh, so yeah, you need some breaks. The ice, um, was tricky for both teams that game. And I, we hadn't really played that sheet a lot. And we, well, the other time we played it, we didn't have a great game. So I think we struggled a bit with that sheet, but we knew it'd be hard for both teams and evidently it was. So let's just talk a little bit about the no tick zone, because now that we've tried it for a while, everybody's had a, you know, a good go at it. I think they're still at the world level, still calling it a tick trial, but to your point, it seems to be making a difference. If the math is different or not, it seems like the difficulty of the shot that the skip has to make to win is certainly different. Your thoughts on the on that the tick trial or the new tick zone? Because I can't imagine that they won't adopt it. Yeah, I agree with what you said about the difficulty of the shots. And um, it just adds to overall excitement of the end, I'd say. I wasn't too sure about it at first when it was first implemented. I didn't know if I liked it. I didn't like how it was giving an advantage to the team that was losing the game. I didn't know how I felt about that. But playing it, it, it does make the game more exciting, I find. And it makes it better for the spectators, I'd say. I really want to talk to Tracy about her sweeping prowess. Go ahead and talk to her about her sweeping prowess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, Jimmy, after you, know, you, you watch the, the year and, and uh, starting the year with, with Tracy, you holding the broom and basically calling the game and then and, and Rachel doing some sweeping, which made, I think, sense. Um, but then maybe Rachel's comfort level isn't there. I know it wouldn't be for me if, if I was trying to do that. I would have trouble doing that, I think. But then, of course, you won a slam like that and now you won a slam the other way with you sweeping. I guess, where's your comfort zone as a player and what's it going to be going forward or do you know? 
Well, I always like to challenge myself to try new things um, and push myself to do better at certain things. So yes, sweeping isn't uh, my specialty at the moment. It's not something I've done a lot at, but it was interesting to see the game from another perspective, to get to spend more time at the front end. And I didn't do a whole lot of sweeping at this latest slam as I I was the outside sweeper all the time. Um, So I didn't get the full sweeper experience, but enjoyed just seeing the game from a different angle. Hey, Emma, what are your thoughts on on that whole, just the whole lineup thing? Give me your give me your thoughts on the team the dynamics. Well, we went and when we formed the team, we we went into it with open minds because everyone was going to be doing something out of their comfort zone. Um, for me, it's a, it was a little bit less, but it was still a big difference going from being in the house and seeing lines at third to only really seeing the lines on my own shots. Um, so that's like, I and I had the least amount of change, <laughs> um, but everyone had a pretty big difference um, in how they were seeing the game. But I think that uh, everyone's just so open-minded and wants to work really hard. And it just becomes, how can we be the best versions? How can we be the best team? Uh, what do we need to do to do that? And that it just kind of, let's do it then. So I think like seeing the game from other sides for both Tracy and Rachel is still helpful <laughs> from being on that. Cause they were both have only skipped. So being able to come and see like, this is how we judge rock and how we communicate. And um, sometimes we mess up and <laughs> sometimes it happens. And like, you see it from a different side, especially a young players highly recommend just trying different positions. Don't, commit to one position at a young age just because you never know what team you'll end up on and being able to appreciate the game from all sides I think is only helpful for development well I thought it was great that you guys won with different lineups <laughs> and, and and Sarah of course too being in being out you know and so on and how's uh, how's Sarah doing what's going on with uh, on that front uh she's good she's uh she's still pregnant um she's uh anxiously awaiting the arrival of her life. it's soon isn't it yeah, it's, it's, I think she's got another well, a few days before her due date. So she's, yeah, I think she's, um, she can't wait. <laughs> she wants to. That's exciting. Yeah. So we're um, excited to have her back too, but uh, it's nice, nice timing for her to have a bit of a break for the season. Everyone's pregnant on that team. You should get a diaper company to be your sponsor, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks guys for joining us and congratulations on your Champions Cup win. That's a great way to finish the year. Uh, Tracy, question that uh, maybe MM wants to jump in as well. The four of you are living in four different locations across this big country, maybe spread out more than any other one of the top teams. How does that impact your training and how do you deal with that when it comes to training? Yeah, good question. Um, we're always trying to find the right balance between competition and training. Um, and this team realizes the importance of being together and being on the ice and training. It's not easy to do with the four cities, but um, we do try to go to competitions a little bit early so that we're on the ice together and um, try to have at least a, a few times a season where we meet up um, just for the purpose of training. So we do think it's important. So is it a bit of a challenge? Do you feel it works better to have all four players in the same location or does it matter? Um, I think if you if we're able to all commit to to being there for those training weekends, it's not that much of a disadvantage. And we just need to be disciplined with um, our individual practice at home and using resources we have at home. Getting out and throwing rocks individually is also very important. I want to ask you a, a mixed doubles question because you and your brother Jake played together this year, and Tyler Tardy played with Rachel. Um, are you 
four of you planning on going forward with mixed doubles as we head towards the Olympics and try to go both ways? And what do you think of Curling Canada's position that you can only in the end play in one? Do you think that's a good idea or what's going to happen with you in mixed doubles? Uh, I personally find it really hard to balance a a busy schedule of mixed doubles um, with four-person curling. Um, Last year was a bit of an exception. Um, Both of our provincials and nationals was in my hometown in Sudbury. So it seemed like a really good opportunity to try it and play with my brother, Jake, which I loved doing. So I don't know uh, about going forward. It's really hard to balance it all. And I don't know the location of the events. Rachel and Tyler, I believe they plan to play. I don't know for certain, but... Yeah, they obviously have a really strong doubles team, and I think they have a lot of potential. Okay, good. So, Emma, the Curling Canada made a change to their system this year in the spring, not too long ago, indicating that four teams are actually going to be able to bypass the provincial playdowns. I guess initially next year, just three. And in fact, that you could end up having a team now if you chose to without the residency rule being a, a factor. Are you happy with that decision? Do you think that was a good move? We heard rumors of something in the fall prior to our provincials, and there's two sides of it. It's nice to be able to plan your season knowing that you're already able to go to your national championship and you're rewarded for having a good season and be able to go in, plan everything appropriately. Provincials is really hard. It's a hard event. It doesn't matter what province you're a part of. The pressure of it is uh, a lot, plus all the talented teams. We are always very excited when we win Ontario because it's always a battle. I think that the wild card spots in general, I'm a big fan of. I think that that only increases the depth of the Scotties Tournament of Hearts and of the Briar um, and how they decide to give those teams their bursts. I think is a bit of a trial right now because they said two and then maybe it's changing next year. Um, but we lucked out this year, so we get to go. So I'd say right now we're a fan. We'll see how everyone reacts. <laughs> So if they open this up uh, a little more as time goes on, which hopefully will, do you think it's a good idea? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people <laughs> are really great talent that all live in the same provinces. So but you're limiting some of the best teams just by a provincial championship uh, without these wildcard spots. So I think just allowing those teams in, um, I mean, there's a ton of depth in multiple provinces where only one team in the past was able to go to the national championship and everyone, the other teams would just be sitting at home with no hope of getting in. And then they introduced the one playoff game for a wild card spot, which thought was <laughs> maybe like, it was a nice chance to get in, but maybe not the best approach. And I think as they added the three teams um, loved that. And I think all the the teams are pretty happy with that now. So we'll, we'll see how this goes without having to play our provincial. We knew this year that when we went into provincials, whether we were team Ontario or team wildcard, we were in. Um, so I guess this is a way of allowing another team in Ontario to win the province and not us go in with uh, no pressure, essentially like either we win Ontario or we get to go anyways. Uh, so this just takes that one step out. So Emma, we last week talked with, uh, the Botcher team about their their marketing approaches and particularly with Benny who seems to have a lot to do with it on that team. On your team, how do you approach the whole seeking a sponsorship and, and the marketing of your merchandise and everything else that you have associated in that area? How do you go about all that? Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard for everyone. Um, we're lucky we have um, some help in both the marketing pitching sponsors, uh, being able to create decks. Uh, we all do that together. Um, but I think the biggest thing is 
being able to provide that value to the companies and your sponsors and show them why they are sponsoring and their investment is worthwhile and why they are sponsoring the team. So we really try to um, show how we give that value to our current sponsors uh, in order to hopefully lure in some new ones as well. And social media is so big right now. It's basically taken over. So uh, most companies that are coming on board, yes, they want to see their logo on TV and they want uh, their logo on your jackets and great spots and the color scheme and all that. But I think the biggest thing is seeing their brand on your social media and that being promoted that way, because that's the biggest reach right now. So um, and we're lucky we have a social media expert <laughs> as part of our extended team. And uh, she gets us to do a lot of different things for our sponsors that are specific to them. And uh, they've all been pretty happy with that. So we try to use that and the knowledge that we gain from those. And the, I mean, the reach numbers and all that to approach new companies and hopefully, and it you get rejected 95% of the time, if not more, but it's the ones that actually work out that if you can make them long-term sponsors, it's a really great relationship. So uh, yeah, <laughs> we're lucky. It's also very hard. So I, I try to also say that, especially the younger teams, like how do you get these sponsors? Like it's not easy and it's not easy for anyone. So it's like all about just growing that social media and trying to provide value there as well. Social media is huge and you guys do a very good job. So now this this person that does it, uh, are they from the curling world or someone that's strictly that you searched out through a social media operators? Yeah, it's actually Ryan Fry's wife. Um, and she's been working okay. with us for before he started coaching us. Um, she's very good at it. She knows all the trends. Her name's Jess. Um, yeah, she's awesome. She just and she also manages those relationships, too, so that she knows exactly what they're looking for from a content perspective and then has us do it. And we work together to push all that out. So it works really well. Uh, let's go back just a little bit, Tracy, um, to the being, having the opportunity to not play provincials and maybe in, in men's and women's not having your top teams in Canada playing at the provincial level. Reason I bring that up is as curling is growing at such a great pace around the world, which of course you can see with the new countries that are popping up at, at the world level and at the grand slam level, it may, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on the expansion of the world events, be it World Curling Championships or some sort of world entity where you can bring in all these new countries and therefore have these great events and, and widen the, the calendar. Because right now, obviously, the way it sits, teams that are automatically in the Scotties or automatically in the Briar, they don't play. <laughs> they don't play for all of February and then into, into March. And it's a, it's a kind of a dead zone for world curling uh, and other than your regional Canadian stuff. And I'm just not sure Canadian curling should carry that much clout anymore. It used to, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah, that was a concern we had um, not playing provincials and just the gap that it leaves in our schedule. Um, we want to make sure that we're playing and don't have too long of a break. Um, so, yeah, we were kind of looking to see if there's events that we can stick there and there isn't that much on on the calendar. So, no, but but because of this, it may open up the opportunity. Yeah, and I think that would be great. Yeah, open up some other events because there are going to be um, a few teams in the same boat in Canada and Team Canada. And so, yeah, it would be great to see some events open up that uh, those teams can play in to get games. The sense I get, and I think a, lo a lot of curling fans, the sense they get is that the wins are a lot tougher, man, if you're Team Canada now and, and you're, or you're playing in these slams. 
the teams from Asia and Europe, and, and we're starting to see names like Turkey and, uh, you know, Australia's in there. It seems unfair that they got so good so fast. <laughs> Am I wrong there? Or is it, did these other countries who were nowhere before in curling, who are now household names? Yeah, I wouldn't say they came out of nowhere. I just say that there's more teams that are all of a sudden appearing um, at slams and you're like, oh, I've never seen them before and they're really good. But it's um, a lot of countries have realized how uh, great curling is, I think, and they're putting a lot more resources into developing athletes and teams. Um, And they have a lot fewer teams. um, So they're able to provide more resources to the teams that they have than in Canada. Uh, We have so much depth here. uh, So it's really hard to compare our training and the way that our training works here than it is in other countries. But I think it's great for the sport. Um, Yeah, it used to be, I I would never say easy. We won the world in 2017 and we have a silver and a bronze from 2013 and 2014. There are still a few good teams. I think the, the difference is the depth. Um, every game's hard now. And there are no easy games, even in the slams, like five or six years ago, it'd be like, okay, well, we're going to go through the round robin undefeated. That's inevitable. And then now it's like, I hope we qualify. <laughs> like, I hope we have enough wins to get us into, or our shootout's good enough that we can still qualify because it's so hard. Um, but I think that's only just going to help curling grow that um, Canada doesn't just win everything anymore. I think it's it's hard and you have to work for it. And I think that just makes curling that much more exciting. Right. Do we need more resources, Tracy? Yeah, it's a tough question to ask because we have, we just have so many good teams in Canada. So it's hard to give resources to all of them. Like I might be easier in another country where there's only a couple teams to give the resources, but it's in Canada, we're fortunate to have a lot of high quality teams. So dividing the resources isn't necessarily easy. How did you guys come to the decision? Uh, you got two skips on, on the same team, and uh, everyone's aware of how successful you are the way you are doing it. Can you walk us through that when, when you looked at the team and said, okay, uh, how, who's going to play where between Rachel and Tr- Tracy? Can you bring us inside a little bit? How that, did it go to a vote? Ew, no, it wasn't a vote. I think we just, when we heard that Tracy was um, potentially a free agent, we reached out and... Um, everyone was just on board to playing whatever position is best for the team. Mm-hmm. Everyone said yes. Um, so when we had a meeting to originally discuss where we would um, start our positions at, um, we just kind of thought about what we thought would work best. And we were like, yep, yeah, that's how we'll start. And we committed to it and wanted to um, put some time into it. So it wasn't really that complicated. And it wasn't, yeah, we didn't have to <laughs> draw names or anything like that. I think everyone just kind of felt like, this is where we should start. And yeah, that was, um, it's just the mindset of being able to put team, the team first and do whatever it takes to try to become number one in the world again. Yeah. Cool, man. Does that ever sound good to say, huh? to become number one in the world again? Again. Awesome. Yeah. We're not there yet. But we're still <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Emma Miskew, Tracy Fleury. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Congratulations on your most recent victory. We'll be watching for you uh, down the road. Keep it up. What what happens in the summer now? Do you guys get together at all or throw some rocks or what? Uh, in August, maybe. We're not. We don't have any ice for the first part of the summer. Mm-hmm. And then um, we'll probably, we, we're trying to plan what that's going to look like right, right. now in terms of um, when in August. But 
Um, usually sometime in August is when we kind of pop on the ice. It's hard though. Cause then like Tracy and I and Sarah all go home to no ice for at least the first part of like, we don't have ice in August and I get ice end of September. I think Tracy, you're even a little bit later than that. Um, so we go, we go train and then you go home and you kind of off for a bit <laughs> and you go back to train. So the start of the season's always a little bit of a trying to figure things out and right. get our feet back under us, but we're doing mainly off ice training. And I think this summer just with Sarah, with um, a baby and uh, Rachel will have one, another one again soon. Okay. We're, we're not going to do anything off ice activities as far as I know right now, but usually we would. Um, we'll just take a little bit of a, the Zoom meetings for this summer. Nice. Enjoy the time off, you guys. Thanks very much for joining us on the uh, on Inside Curling, and and we'll watch for you again. Uh, keep it up. Keep the great careers going. You're, you're a credit to our country. Thank you, Miro. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much, you guys. See you later, guys. Thanks, guys. Have a nice summer. Thanks for having us. Okay, there they go. Future Hall of Famers, Emma Miskew and uh, Tracy Fleury. Yeah, fantastic players. And uh, interesting to have, uh, you know, played against each other for so long. And now this year play together and already won two slams. And, and uh, you know, just uh, talent. It doesn't hurt to put a whole lot of talent together. And, and you're really good on both to move, be willing to move positions to, to be able to find a winning uh, the yeah. winning. A combination, and that's that's great for athletes to be able to be uh, willing to do that to to win. I've always wanted to when we have guests like that. I've is I wanted to ask Emma, who's better, Tracy or Rachel? <laughs> 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 I'm just dying to do it. I almost did it, but I didn't. But you, you'd get some humming. <laughs> yeah, but but who is Kev between those two? Uh, Rachel is an unbelievable hitter, one of the best ever in the women's game. And Tracy's an incredible drawer, one of the best ever in the women's game. So, yeah, there, there's definitely a difference there yeah. um, between what their absolute strengths are. They can both draw and they can both hit. But right. I just mean kind of God-given talent, Rachel hitting and, and Tracy drawing. They're, they're both at top of the game at those two things. But So it's, 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 that's a great question to ask. Yeah, they're definitely different uh, players, no question. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that team is uh, going to come together a little better yet. They seem to struggle at times this past year, and of course, it's the first year that they're playing in that particular situation with Rachel not holding the broom and Tracy not throwing the last rocks. So I think they're still adapting, along with a few other teams. I look at the Kate and Laws team, and, and in both cases, again, their teams have been upset to some degree with uh, expectancies as well. So. I think once they all get uh, that sorted out, uh, there was three or four top teams that are relatively new as far as all playing together. They're going mm-hmm. to improve a fair amount over what they did this last year. Uh, speaking of top teams, we're, we're going to look at that, Warren, uh, some of these rankings. Uh, let's boot along. We've got about uh, three and a half days of show here. Okay, so we're going to do it in an hour. All right. Uh, mailbag brought to you by Nestle Boost. Complete nutrition to fuel your day. Thanks, guys for continuing to bring us your entertaining and informative podcast. This is from Chris Newton in Severn, Ontario. Could it ever be considered that the round robin games be eight ends and the play downs be 10 ends? These are some reasons amongst others. Number one, as it stands with the present format, games in the round robin are often decided prior to the eighth end and depending on the score, conceded by the losing team prior to the 10th end. Number two, the games will take only two hours to complete 
and better for TV viewers. Number three, less wear and tear on the curlers. Uh, he goes on to say the playoffs are a different matter. Having the top six teams playing in the current playoff format with the Canadian Championship on the line should allow for the continuation of 10 end games. These games are often the most entertaining to curling fans with the teams usually being very close in the skill level. The 8th to the 10th ends are often nail biters as evidenced by this year's Briar final. Thanks again. That's from Chris Newton from Severn, Ontario. Call out to Severn. Uh, shout out. Kevin, what do you think of Chris's ideas? Well, if uh, I guess if certain events are going to continue to be at 10 ends, it would probably help to uh, get a younger audience, at least during the week, if you make them eight ends. Because that's sort of the, the thing right now is how do you wrap up a show in two and a half hours? That's, you know, on, in all sports, that's kind of the goal. And and in 10 end curling, it's really hard to do that. But then in the playoffs, to go back to 10, now you're back to three hours and 15 minutes or three hours and 30 minutes to complete a game so that you've kind of lost your audience again. I know that the, the, the true blue curling fan, they, they love 10 ends. I get it. You're not going to expand the audience, I don't think, with, with going that long. I, I really think the, the game needs to move to eight ends totally. The entire game, but but maybe that's a start. Maybe that's a beginning of of change where you make the round robin eight and playoffs ten for a couple of years and then be able to switch it all. So that's the way I look at it. Anyways, I think the game has to wrap in two and a half hours, no matter how you play it. Um, and that's just my feeling, Warren. Yeah, I think you're right. Everything's got to head to two and a half hours when we see even baseball doing it. I think the. Uh, the writing's on the wall if that's where it's got to go. I thought a lot about what was said in that email, and uh, maybe he's got a point that in that preliminary round, particularly the Briar and Scotties, where there's a huge uh, imbalance in the teams, maybe eight ends would be better. Would be better because we know there's a lot of games in there that really are are blowouts, and uh, maybe that might be an approach to take. How come golf, Warren? Uh, people are way more easy going about a golf round taking four and a half hours, sometimes five. Uh, they aren't really, Jim. Um, I thought so. <laughs> to some degree, to some degree, it's an age thing. But if you look at the average audience of the PGA Tour, it's very old. Right. And uh, you take a look at what Live Golf is doing, and I mean, they they totally get the idea where they're going to have their rounds over in four maximum of five hours. And I think I think they will trim it back from that even still because moving forward, it just has to be. So now the final day of the Libby event is not 12 hours, it's four hours. Right. So that's quite a change in direction. But I don't think you're getting many people under the age of 40 sitting and watching golf for 12 hours. Good point about the thing, though. They do shotgun starts, right, in that live event, so yep. every, it's yep. only four hours. Yep. Everything they're doing is aimed at, uh, in my opinion, it's a younger audience, and it's aimed at a world audience, which golf has about the same as curling, which is a potential of about $2.5 billion. Uh, Gold star for Kevin. Right in the button, Kevin. Right on the button. Thanks for the email, insidecurling at gmail.com. Uh, what's happening around the curling world is brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? I sure do, boys, by the way. <laughs> you can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make a play at Sports Interaction. you got to be 19 years or older to play, and we want you to please play responsibly. Uh, here we go, Warren. Sport Canada put out a report this week ranking 63 amateur sports based on the type of governance each has adopted. Curling Canada was ranked uh, number 21 out of the 63 sports. Holy man. Uh, first of all, Warren, uh, before you give us the details on the report, what does that mean? 63 amateur sports based on the type of governance each has adopted. What's that mean? Basically, their board structure and how their board governs is what that's all based on. And uh, 
you say 21, but I thought it's kind of interesting. Hockey, who has had anything but an easy ride here in the last year, they were ranked number seven. So they've obviously got uh, their act together to get things going in a little bit different direction. But uh, Curling Canada, I'm not surprised that there's some issues with uh, their board situation. The, the rankings that they put out were one to five. Board composition, Curling Canada was a three. Board structure, two. And board development was a two. So that's sort of the reasons why they were probably put in position number 21. It's kind of interesting. You go up into the top end there at number 63, and I won't even say who it was, but in all three of these zero areas, it was zero, zero, and zero. <laughs> oh, well, who, so they're ranking them one out of five on how the organization runs. Who, who's doing that research? Somebody within Sport Canada. I don't know. Maybe they've hired a, a research firm to do it, but it's it's from their corner. Uh, the other interesting things that they put out that must stop, start happening, and it was immediately is pretty much what it said, is the boards of all these sports have to start to publish their board meeting minutes. Uh, financials must be made public, must meet new standards for diversity and independence for their directors. At least 40% of the board must be made up of directors from outside the sport or the organization. No more than 60% of the directors can be of the same gender. And directors have to be on set terms, can't serve forever. In some of these sports, there were some of those directors were there for many, many years. Curling wasn't one. They've always had a good turnover. But the key one here, I think, is athletes must be represented on the board. Curling Canada's had that put to them for as long as I can remember and have been dancing around it. And now they're going to have to do it. Kind of interesting, an evaluation by, made by the Coalition Against Abuse in Sport, feel the measures that Sport Canada has taken do not go far enough to close the gaps. Some of those rules are dumb, I think. I don't need to go into details, but I, I like the idea of the athletes being on there. Warren, this sounds like people looking for money, each sport looking for funding. So Sport Canada has come up and said, listen, we got we to rank these. We're, we're, we're tired of hearing from every freaking sport who thinks they should get money. Uh, I gather that's what this is all about? No. Not at all. I think it's totally aimed at how they are running, <laughs> totally how they're running the organization is what it's aimed at. The whole aspect of allocating money is based on a number of things. It's the size of the sport to right. a very large degree, what their performance is, particularly at the Olympics, uh, very much determines their funding. So that's not what this is aimed at. And, and I get it. I mean, curling is an interesting one. I mean, sort of the progression for years to be on the board of Curling Canada was, you know, you became a club president, you became a provincial association president, you ran for the board of the CCA and you maybe won and got elected. And uh, that was your background for, for being in that position. In many cases, not a lot of experience to be doing what they were now being tasked with doing. Um, Curling Canada board, from my experience over years, I mean, there's been some very good people there, but there's been some that have just come through the osmosis. So I think this is an area that it's a good thing that they look at tightening it up to some degree. Okay. Kev, what do you think? I'm surprised, actually. I thought, uh, yeah, curling should be higher than that. There's no question. So obviously there's some work that needs to be done. Definitely athlete involvement. We, we've been barking about that yep. for right. 25 years. So great that it's going to be forced. Uh, I hope that they, as a group, Curling Canada, do not get to choose the athlete. Mm -hmm. I hope that the athlete comes out of the new athletes group that Nicodine and Emma Miskew are in charge of. Right. And uh, they can put the person on the board, not somebody that is <laughs> kind of brought in. And, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, that won't work. It's my cousin. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't need that. We, you, you need an independent voice sitting at the table. And a strong voice would be great. I'm not surprised, Kevin, that you would say you need an independent voice and a strong voice, Warren. Does that does that just 
That just knocks me out that you would say that, Martin. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, number two, from what's happening around the curling world, the World Curling Federation posted the final rankings for the season of men's, women's, and mixed doubles. Uh, on the women's side, uh, I'll whip through these quickly. Number one is Anderson, Terenzoni, two, Homan, uh, Fujisawa, Gim, Jones, Rana, Hasselborg, uh, Peterson, and Laws are your top ten. On uh, the men's, Guju. That's because I always bet on him. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> this will surprise you. Guju Mowat, Guju Mowat, Adin, Botcher, a return as Dunstone, Schwaller, Cooey, White, and Dropkin. Kind of no surprises there, I guess. Kevin, anything surprise you? Um, well, uh, maybe a, a little bit. You've got six countries in the women's. Canada, Japan, Korea, Sweden, USA. So that's really, really good, I think. And Switzerland, in Terenzoni's case. Mm-hmm. So you got six different nations at the top 10 of a sport, of a worldwide sport. That's very special, I think. That's mm-hmm. very unusual. And in the men's, you've got Canada, Scotland, Sweden, Italy, and the U.S. So that's a big difference, too. You've got all kinds of countries involved mm-hmm. in these top 10s in men's and women's, which I think is fantastic for the potential growth of our game when you're looking at a worldwide type of competition um, right. Just can't you can't dream of that as as a world governing group to have that kind of parity on men's and women's side. I don't know if you could name a sport besides curling that would have that kind of parity in the top ten in the top ten of the game. Right, uh, Warren. There's there's four teams uh, from Canada in the top ten in women's and men's four of them, and there's two actually in the top five from the men's and women's. So how does that look to you, Warren? Well, certainly Canada's strong. Uh, always has been their rate in the heat of things, but mm-hmm. so are a bunch of other countries. And I look at the whole thing as far as uh, the nations are involved and how long they've been involved in world curling. Well, Canada, Scotland, they were two original teams, countries. Sweden wasn't far behind, neither was Switzerland or in the USA, I think was the third nation. In. But the one on the men's side that jumps out, Italy. Italy became part of world curling around 1973, 74. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can remember... Back in the days, there was always jokes about Italy as the best Italian takeout was a pizza. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Various things over the year, but that's not the case anymore. They are uh, not just on men's side with Rotanos, but in the women's and mixed doubles sides too, they're, they're right there. And I look on the women's side and I see Japan and Korea up there with uh, the original nations and both came lately. Japan, I think, probably became a member of the World Federation in the late 80s, and uh, Korea after that. Those nations on the women's side to be up in positions four and five is uh, excellent. And I think the strength of this sport going forward is to a very large degree going to be in Asia. And to see those teams up in four and five positions in the women's side at least is, is great. I don't think anybody will argue uh, with the fact that one of the fastest growing disciplines in curling is mixed doubles. Uh, both of you guys love it, and so do many curlers. Um, even in the last, I don't know, a couple of years, three years, it's it's getting bigger all the time. You've got some rankings with the mixed doubles. So we take a look at the rankings at the end of the season. Uh, uh, quite a diversification. Canada's still quite strong in there. So right on top. Although they didn't win the Worlds, is Jones and Lang in position number one from Canada. Number two position, Switzerland, Perot Rios. And number three, interesting, Estonia, Calville and Lille. In number four position from Scotland, Dodds and Mowat. Number five, again, Canada, Walker Myers. 
Number six, Martin Griffith, and that uh, twosome is going to be split up, so they won't be playing together next year. Number seven, the world champions, interesting enough, Thesi and Dropkin. Number eight, Japan, Matsumura, and Tande. And number nine, Ronning and Brandon from Norway. And a number 10, Peterman Gallant from Canada. So Canada's got four teams in the top 10, but the one team for sure, Martin Griffith, we know won't be together next year. I'm assuming Walker Myers war, will be, but we're not sure of that one either, I don't think. Jones, Lang, way to go, number one. Kev, any thoughts there in the mixed doubles rankings? Well, I, I, you know, just almost repeating myself again, you've got seven countries, I believe. You've got Canada, Switzerland, Estonia, Scotland, USA, Japan, Norway. So seven different countries. I have to use my fingers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so seven, seven different countries in the top ten. That's unheard of. It's, it's it, uh, in any sport where the top players are spread out across the world like that. So Canada still has more teams in the top 10 than any other place, same as men's and women's, but, but the parody around the globe is fantastic and mixed doubles as well. And it just shows it. There's just no making it up. It's just, you know, it's not, a, it's, it's just true. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful for, for our sport going forward in men's, women's, and mixed doubles. It's, it's going to continue to grow because the new nations coming in, Jim, see, hey, we, we have a legit chance. Turkey, they're getting really, really good. And you mentioned Australia earlier. Well, they're very good at mixed doubles at, mm-hmm. uh, at the world level. So, you, you know, and, and you've got all these new nations coming in going, well, they can do it. Mm-hmm. We can do it. And you notice Switzerland, Estonia, Scotland, Italy is not in the top 10. Right. But they certainly are. If right. if right. Amos and, and uh, Stefania play together, mm-hmm. they're in the top 10. But Amos didn't play with Stefania this year. So, you know, they end up dropping out of the top 10, but they're certainly there. So really, you, you could honestly say eight different countries in the top 10 if you count Italy as well. Is there any money kept for mixed doubles teams? Like is prize money? I, I... It's growing. And there are events being brought into the fold um mm-hmm. but for now no it, the most of the money is in the four-person game but it's growing it's growing at a great rate so there will be there is money in it i shouldn't say there isn't any but it's just not as big as a four-person game both the marketing side and the prize money side i think i'm fair to say that hey warren that's fair comment. oh without question i think i think the big breakthrough this year is at the uh, canadian mixed doubles championships and i'm trying to remember off the top of my head the exact number the winning team i think they got fifty thousand. Oh oh wow uh, okay, now everyone, the ongoing argument all the time is about the residency rule, and I'm about to give you the Canadian team rankings for the end of the season, okay? And this may help some of you understand that we got to, in my mind, that we got to get rid of it. Uh, the women, Anderson, Manitoba, Holman, Ontario, Jones, Manitoba, Laws, Manitoba, Grandy, BC, Shy Digger, Alberta, Walter, Manitoba, Black, Nova Scotia, Latticer, Ontario, Skirlik, Alberta. One, two, three, four. Four from Manitoba? Yep. Four Manitoba. Yep. Yep. Four from Manitoba, okay? So yeah. you uh, wanna go you wanna do good in the Scotties, don't go to Manitoba. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's too, you're it's too not, hard. You got no you got no shot. On the men's side, Guju, Newfoundland, of course, Botcher, Alberta, Dunstone, Manitoba, Cooey, Alberta, Carruthers, Manitoba, Sturme, Alberta, Sluchinsky, Alberta. McEwen, Ontario, Epping, Ontario, Horgan, Northern Ontario. Now, some of these guys have moved around, right, from, from different provinces. But Again, you've got how many teams from Alberta on the men's side? 
Four. Four, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Four on the men's side from Alberta and four on the women's side from Manitoba. And Mike McEwen actually is now going to be Saskatchewan because yeah. he's he's moved uh, his curling proneness to Saskatchewan. I think, Warren, you would be satisfied when you see this with your outspokenness about the residency rule in, in the Briars and Scotties. Yeah. And I think what has happened is is going to help that. Hopefully, uh, it's going in the right direction. So as as we sit here today, we now know in both the men's and women's that those first three teams mentioned are going to be in the Scotties and Briar next year. So Anderson, of course, is Team Canada. But through the new ruling they brought out a few weeks ago, Holman and Jones are also in. And there'll be a fourth team in from ranking, but that won't be declared till after the provincials next year. The right. year after, a year from now, there'll be three teams known. So a year from now, Laws would also be in. And on the men's side, uh, Gushu is Team Canada. Botcher and Dunstan, the next ranks, they're in. Right. And uh, Cooey just misses it. But uh, he will have the opportunity, if he doesn't win Alberta, to probably grab that fourth spot, I would think. Right. What what do you think about this, Kevin? So, uh, top three. God, you love that if you're in Manitoba, right? That you you if you're number one, you get to you don't have to play in your provincials. What opens up the door to to a really to some big events? And I, I keep saying that to to bigger events during that time. That's all been locked up, and you know that's kind of why the boycott happened way back in two thousand and one is because of the schedule and and not being able to have big events around the world mm-hmm. because because teams couldn't play and this opens up that possibility so you can have men's events in February March women's events and maybe mixed doubles because the top players are already in the nationals so you only have to burn up one week right. of market time cuz that's not market time playing in a national you don't get to wear your sponsors right. so that's not marketable time for your sponsors and for your brand mm-hmm. so outside of that one the national week you can travel around and play on television with your logos uh, during that time. And that's a very, very big deal for the teams and for their sponsors and for the brand and just for the whole business of curling. Uh, so there you have it, folks. You heard a lot of Alberta, a lot of Manitoba, um, which is predictable. Uh, Warren, what about the Canadian mixed doubles rankings? Well, it's interesting. The rankings for Canada are a little different than the world's. And I guess that, uh, bids for the fact that they're counting different events at the Canadian level than they are at the world level, so it's going to change things a bit. But Peterman and Gallant, who were number 10 on the world listing, are number one on the Canadian one. Uh, Jones and Lang are number two. Martin Griffith, who we indicated at the world side that they aren't going to continue together, but they are number three. Walker and Myers are number four. St. Georges and Asselin are number five. Weagle and Epping are number six. Burchard and Morris are number seven. Number eight is Kitts and Stewart. Number nine is Holman and Tardy. And number 10 is Desjardins and Desjardins. And uh, just missing the cutoff at number 10 is Anderson and Jacobs, an interesting team. So I think, you know, there's there's some good teams there. Be interesting, I think, the big thing, how many of them are going to continue into next season and, and what's going to happen with this whole Olympic thing. Is Murdoch going to change the uh, situation where you can't play in both? So there you go, folks. Uh, Rankings, rankings, rankings. Thank you, Warren, for rounding all that up. Send us an email, you guys. What do you think about the rankings and and how Canada's doing? They're doing pretty good. Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. Coyote, we dig dirt. There were some uh, ideas tossed around this week, Warren, on our Facebook group. 
with some suggestions that the game could be made more interesting. If a stone covered the pin, it would be worth two points. Kev, why don't you go first on this? Well, it's just, it would be a different scoring system. Like As soon as you do that, you've sort of changed the essence of the game, um, which isn't impossible to do. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't vote for it, but that, that doesn't really matter. Um, but the idea then would be, you know, if you're trying to defend, you'd probably try to own the top of the button so the person couldn't draw on his last one. You're changing a bit of the game, the structure of the game, the strategy of the game, how you approach uh, the scoreboard at one down or two down. So you're definitely making a difference to how the game is actually approached. I don't see the value <laughs> in it, actually, no. um, because you are going to, it's going to change um, the deuce coming home because you could have a deuce in one rock. The other team's going to try to throw top button. You're changing you know, certain aspects of the game. You know, you'd probably rather see the, the team throw a center guard, but they're probably not going to do that, throw a center guard, and then the other team goes to the buttonhole early. You know, see what I mean? It's, it's you're changing the strategy of the game entirely. You're losing me. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, without, without confusing everybody, yeah, that would right. be my point. I, I would not vote for that. I'm not ready for it. Warren, <laughs> you sent me a note. However, Jim, I have some experience at this, Warren says. A little history, pal. Well, yes. So if we go way back to when the original Association of Competitors Curlers was developed, and that was the start of the development of the Super Leagues. And it was actually a playoff held, I think, for three years involved Western Canada with uh, two teams from each province, sponsored by Carling McKeith Brewery. But we had some special rules, and this was one of them. And I'm trying to remember, and I can't find anything that's written down, but I think it was the 8th, 9th, and 10th ends in the original Super League in this Western Canada team playoff where each province was represented, I think, by three teams. A draw to the button, covering the pin, in the last three ends of the game was worth two points. And it created some really interesting dynamics. And I can remember one instance <laughs> that we were the victims of. I think we were up three playing the eighth end. And this guy covers the pin in the eighth end, and he covers it in the tenth end, <laughs> and we lose. <laughs> <laughs> he likes the idea. He likes the idea. He'd vote right now. Vote. Yeah, yeah. Boom. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's I, I think, an interesting idea, something to maybe play around with in, in some kind of a funny event just to see what it does. But uh, it has been tried. Kevin, do you get do you get a sense here in the in the big picture looking at the sport of curling, Warren and Kevin? Like I look at all the other sports, and they're not they're not constantly weighing in on we got to change this, we got to change this. They did some baseball did a bunch. It worked, you know, football, basketball, hockey. The trapezoid was a huge change for hockey, no question. Right. It just seems to me though every week we get someone suggesting to change something in the game of curling and something different. Well, you know what, though, Jimmy, uh, it used to be when I was uh, not, well, no, it doesn't seem that long ago, I guess it is, to get a break in hockey, even if you're in your own zone, you just fire the puck over the glass. Right. So wait a minute, we got to make that a penalty. So they made that a penalty. You can't just flick the, the puck over the glass. And, and, and the goalie, because uh, some goalies got so good at handling the puck behind the net, they brought in the trapezoid. Now the goalie can't uh, touch it. It might have been Skinner. I think it was Skinner. It might have been Campbell who touched the puck inside the trapezoid. Automatic two minutes. That was just a couple games right. ago. So 
So there's been some pretty substantial changes in hockey and in baseball lately, massive right. changes with the, the pitch clock. That's huge. Right. That's like changing to to the shot clock in curling. Oh, my goodness. Right. We had lots of response on that one on our Facebook group. Not a lot of people fans of that idea yet. <laughs> but I think as, thing, as, as sports progress and you, and you take a look at what can we do to make this more appealing, I think is, is what all these things are aimed at. Kevin's daughter is involved big time in fastball. I was involved with the Western Major Fastball League back 40 years ago when that was an attempt for professional fastball in Western Canada. And, of course, mm-hmm. the big thing is wow. in fastball has always been scoring because you can't hit the pitchers. So there was right. experimenting experimenting done in that point of putting the pitcher back to second base to see if that would allow more score, more scoring in the games, yes. <laughs> Couldn't they go a couple of feet at a time? <laughs> I'm sure it did. <laughs> and I do believe there was a couple of events played where that's where the pitchers were, were throwing from. And you, and you bet there wow. was more scoring because you could now hit the pitcher. Or a lot of balls when the guy couldn't get the ball to the plate. <laughs> well, I don't know if you've ever tried to hit a windmill fastball oh, pitcher, I have, pitcher yeah. Jim, but uh, it's just, it's whiz. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. We, in my old oh, radio show, we interviewed a, the, the best fastball pitcher in the world, okay? He might have been from out here, I forget, very low reactor. And I said to him, how many no hitters have you had? And he said, way more than I've had people hit. <laughs> really? <laughs> the guy didn't know. He goes, that. I got to be honest, I don't know, two, three hundred, no hitters, you know, like it just, you know, fastball. Huh, that's interesting. Anyway, I'm just saying curling, they got to change the time, the tick zone, the amount of rocks, the amount of ends, every time. It's it's all aimed at trying to make it more appealing to the spectator. That's I think that's what every sports uh, aim is, and particularly with the new generation we have now that, uh, again, I always use the terms quick, fun, and engaging. Uh, I think that's what everybody is trying to, to do. I mean, Rugby Sevens is a good example of making a change to to put out that type of a product. Okay. I guess I'll just have to know that every week someone's going to give us something different to change in the game. What are we going to talk about, Jim? (laughs) Exactly. As long as they don't change the host of Inside Curling. (laughs) Uh, Let's whip along. What are you hearing? Is brought to you by Hearing Life. If vision places the world in front of us, hearing places us at its center. Hearing Life invites you to love your ears with a free hearing test. No referral needed. Visit hearinglife.ca to book your free hearing test today. Greg Drummond, by the way, has been selected as the Scottish replacement for departing high performance director, Dave Murdoch, of course, who we get. Uh, but Warren, this is a kind of breaking news uh, that one of um, one of Curling's ambassadors and great players has passed away. Yeah, some very sad news I received uh, earlier today from Bernie Sparks and the fact that uh, Ron Northcott, nicknamed the Owl, the uh, three-time world championship skip out of Calgary, uh, passed away last evening. And uh, really sad news. Ron was a real gentleman and one of the great curlers of all time. He was born and raised in Innisfail, Alberta, but lived most of his life in Calgary. I put a team together kind of late in 1966 with George Fink playing third, Bernie Sparks second, and Fred Story lead. And they went on to win the Briar in 1966. But that was just the beginning for Ron, uh, Fred, and Bernie. He, he won three world championships with three different thirds. Uh, they won the whole thing in 66. They were back in the Briar in 67, but didn't make it. Alfie Phillips won the Briar. But they returned in 1968 and uh, in Kelowna, won the Briar there and went on to win the first ever Air Canada Silver Broom in Point Claire, Quebec later that year. That was with Jimmy Shields playing third, but still Sparks and Story on the front end. And in 1969, they had another third player, Dave Gerlach, helped the team win the Briar in Oshawa. And they went on to win the third world championship in Perth, Scotland. 
Ron totally played in six briars. Uh, He was a very uh, well-spoken gentleman. Uh, He died as a member of the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame, the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame, Canadian World Curling Halls of Fame. He was also a member of the Order of Canada, a member of the Honorary Governor General's Curling Club. And throughout his life, Ron dabbled in the horse racing business, and he owned racehorses up until just probably a few years ago. So sad news of the passing of Ron Northcott. I played against him many times, uh, good friend, uh, just a really good guy. Yeah, but when you hear, hear those designations he got and, and how he went out, uh, that's a nice way to go out. Kev, did your careers overlap? No, no, we never uh, never had the opportunity to play each other, no, but uh, definitely uh, a legendary name in our sport. and It's not news you want to hear, that's definitely the truth, but um, yeah, I'm just a great player and obviously a tremendous champion. Uh, good show, boys. Lots in there. Thank you to uh, Emma and uh, Tracy Fleury, your latest winners uh, in the Grand Slam. Uh, they're going to take the summer off. Looks like they take a few, couple months off. Uh, We want to thank Rod Paulson as we do each and every week in his company, In-House Strategies. Join our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Uh, That's where we look at all our emails that we get. Uh, InsideCurling at gmail.com is where you can do it. Also, a big thank you to uh, Sports Interaction, Coyote, Boost, Hearing Life, and Goldline, who make all of this possible. Uh, Warren, this will excite you about the growth of a sport. Uh, Kevin and I, not too excited today about the growth of the NHL. The Oilers lose last night. Vegas goes on to the Western Conference Final. And if Seattle is playing Dallas tonight, if Seattle wins, here's your final four, Warren. And this is amazing. If Seattle wins, the final four will be Seattle, Las Vegas, Carolina, and Florida will be your top four teams in the NHL. So Gary Bettman, everyone says Bettman wants these American teams. But talk about the least four teams you would like when you know what I mean more than 10 15 years ago yeah but I'm sure it does make uh, Mr. Bettman and the people in the NHL office happy because you're going into markets where hockey isn't kind of uh, a kitchen table word and uh, it's uh, giving them greater exposure into those areas and they're very heavily populated yeah, Seattle's just in the league one year, right? Vegas only a few years, and this is not the first time that they've they've done this. But uh, anyway, kind of interesting. So it's a it's a great example of of the growth of the sport and parity. And we need it in curling. Okay. <laughs> um, Kev, go throw a little more water on the rocks. I, I just looked at Palm Springs. Uh, feels like I don't know, eighty degrees, but that's Celsius. <laughs> go, go. You can boil an egg on your head, Martin, okay? So be careful out there. Warren, you take it easy, man. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us uh, and joining our two World Curling Hall of Famers each and every week. We do it with Warren Hansen and Kevin Martin and me, Jim Jerome. We'll talk to you next week on Inside Curling. Take it easy, everybody. Stay cool. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.